Then we get to Revelation chapter 19 and we see Christ on a white horse returning from heaven to earth and his robe and this time is dipped in red blood representing the blood of the saints. It's possible that uh, uh, he's showing this blood as victory over death, hell, and the grave because it was his blood who redeemed us from our sin. Hello and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. What a day that will be when we see Jesus face to face. The book of the Revelation actually gives us a glimpse of what it will be like. And this week, Brother Larry Treadway preaches his sermon entitled, A Vision of Jesus. Good to be back in the house of the Lord today. Uh, This past Sunday, we had an opportunity to have an outdoor service, plus record the service for the web. We're doing that again this week. So I hope it's a blessing to everybody. We completed our, uh, or I completed our my series on encouragement, but today kind of goes along right with what I've been preaching, and I want you to turn to Revelation chapter number one. Uh, today I want us to think on the thought of a vision of Jesus, a vision of Jesus. You know, I, we often think sometimes, boy, those disciples were so blessed because uh, they could physically see Jesus with their own eyes. I mean, when Jesus walked on water, they got an opportunity to see that. Uh, when Jesus healed the blind man, they got an opportunity to see that. When he raised the dead, they got an opportunity to see that. When he taught the great lessons that he taught, uh, that he confined even the wise teachers of the day, they had an opportunity to hear that. So we think, man, they, they were so blessed to physically be there with Jesus to see and to hear what was going on. But yet, they didn't get it all the time. Uh, the disciples got together one day, and one of them happened to say, you know something, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, we would believe. You know, if you just show us God the Father, then we'd have a right to believe. Well, in John 14, verses 9 and 10, uh, it said, Jesus replied, Have I been with you so long that you have not known me, Philip? That person that you, the person who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you sh- say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Brother Rich has got through teaching that in Sunday school this morning. Isn't that great to know uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost are one. And he's teaching that to his disciples, even though they didn't get it. And a lot of times today we don't get it either. But later, following the resurrection, he said these words. I like that. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou believest. Blessed are they which have not seen and yet have believed. I mean, that is great right there. He says, you know, you, you believe only because of what you've seen. But there's people who've not seen me that's going to believe. That's us today. We believe by faith. We have eyes of faith, ears of faith. And even though we cannot physically see and hear, we still see and hear through and by the Spirit. So what would it be if we could only get a vision of Jesus? And we get that today. So let's look at John's vision of Jesus in Revelation and see what we can draw from it. Beginning in verse number one, got a very lengthy reading. I hope you have your Bible in front of you so you can follow along. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation 
and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ within the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice of a trumpet saying I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamos and to Tyrosia and to Sardis and into Philadelphia and into Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with the paps of a golden girdle. His head and his hair were like white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes was as a flame of fire, and his feet unto fine brass. And I burnt, it burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went the sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he lay his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And that's enough to shout over right there. Let me have a prayer with you. Our Heavenly Father, I pray you'll bless the word today as we read it and expound upon it. Lord, it'll be understandable and applicable to the heart today. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this is John. He's the last of the remaining 12 apostles. All the others have been put to death in one form of torture or another, but John has not been. He is a son of Zebedee. He is a fisherman and he's a brother of James. We know that about him. He was a disciple of John the Baptist uh, just before being introduced to Jesus and following Jesus as his disciple. Uh, he was the one disciple that Jesus predicted that would never suffer a martyr death. And it came about. He died of natural causes. Even though tradition has that he went through every kind of persecution and every kind of situation imaginable, we find him here in, probably in his 90s at the time he's writing this letter from Patmos uh, of a right old age. And Jesus is following, now just following Jesus' resurrection and his ascension to heaven, uh, we can follow history and know that John was one of the elders at the church of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, then after that, he became a pastor at the churches of Ephesus. And uh, then we see that he is now uh, in exile uh, on the Isle of Patmos as a criminal for his faith. Uh, what I just read said he was there for the cause of Christ because he had been preaching and teaching Christ. And this is where he wrote this great, wonderful vision of Christ in Revelation. And uh, he was most likely hiding in a cave there on that Isle of Patmos. And something happens. He hears a voice behind him. Now, typically, if you are down on your knees or you're in the dark and you hear a voice behind you, you kind of want to know where that voice comes from. And uh, what he's doing is Jesus is speaking to him. And he 
directs his attention toward the voice that is speaking to him. And it's one of the lowest times of the life for John. Uh, and here Jesus is speaking. Here's that voice, and that voice is saying this. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What you are about to see, I want you to write in a book. What you are about to see, I want you to write in a book. What John saw here. Let's look a little bit about what John saw just in these few verses in the low state that he was in. Uh, he saw Christ in a white robe. And in Revelation chapter 7, it's showing that the saints that were killed during the tribulation period were given white robes representing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have no righteousness on our own. What righteousness we have is His righteousness. Then we get to Revelation chapter 19 and we see Christ on a white horse returning from heaven to earth and His robe in this time is dipped in red blood representing the blood of the saints. It's possible that uh, uh, He's showing this blood as victory over death, hell, and the grave because it was His blood who redeemed us from our sin. You remember even the Old Testament says that without the shedding of blood, it, you know, it's impossible to have our sins redeemed. So we see Christ in a white robe. We see him also having a belt of gold. Uh, said he was girded about with a golden belt there. It, uh, gold was the most precious stone in Jesus' day. Uh, it was the wealthiest of all material. This is Christ. Christ is the most precious He's the most precious person in our life. He, he is, is more precious than gold. And then John sees his hair and his head white as snow or as wool. Uh, and white represents the essence of purity. And Christ is the essence example of purity. And then he sees Christ with his eyes being like flames of fire. And, and it to me, I, I know this doesn't compare, but when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about Christ being able to penetrate uh, the, to the very depth of our heart, knowing the very intentions of our heart, what we're thinking before we're even able to sink it and think it. And those eyes are just piercing. And, and, and this is the far cry from the eyes of Jesus. But I think about Mama's eyes. Uh, you know, when I got into trouble... Those eyes pierced the very depths of my heart. She knew what I was up to. Jesus knows the very depths of our heart here. He's our judge. He'll see right through it. And then it says his feet is like shining brass. And I, and, and, and I think about that and I think about the fineness of brass, how it's polished and shiny. And, of course, we're told of the armor of Christ that, uh, that it, you know, the shoes represents the gospel of peace. And there's no greater gospel of peace than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it says his voice rolled or roared like the sea. I can just imagine there uh, his voice rolling out with such emphasis, uh, with such importance that you just had to listen to it because you knew there were authority behind that voice. And then in his hands were seven stars. And those seven stars there were messengers or angels to carry the gospel back to the seven churches of Asia that he's writing this letter to. 
And then it said, out of his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword representing the word of God, which is the truth. It is the only truth, which is Jesus Christ, the Logos, the truth that's in the world is through him. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword would ever be. And then it said he had a shine all around him. I think about that and I read on in, 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 the, in the Bible here that where it says in, in the city, the New Jerusalem, there, there's no sun, that, there's no need for light because Jesus is the light of that city and he's been the light of the world all along if we just allow him to. But in the end times of the heavens, he'll be the light of that city of that New Jerusalem. Man, what a sight that John had an opportunity to see. How did John react when he saw that sight of seeing Jesus? He fell, it says, at his feet like a dead man. Can you imagine in the sinful flesh that we walk around in, seeing the essence of the Son of God in a vision? Would we not fall speechless in front of him as well? You know, I know that in the, in the new body, in the great glorified body, <coughs> we're going to be able to see him like he is. But right now, I don't know how we could take the glory of the Son of God and the brightness of the Son of God as he saw this in this vision without being just like John and falling down like a dead man. Like even in Isaiah, <coughs> when the prophet Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up on the throne, what, was it? what did he do? He fell like a dead man. He fell flat on his face. That's what we do. It takes our breath away, or it would take our breath away to see the very essence of the Son of God. Now what John heard from Jesus, we looked at a lot of it in that scripture, but I only want to take two statements that he said at the very end of the scripture that I read. There are three statements here, two statements that are very utmost important. The first statement was, he said, I am the first and the last. And the second statement, he said, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. So let's break down those two statements here. First of all, he said, I'm the first and the last. If you notice the way he starts that, he starts with two words. I am. That says it all right there. I am uh, representing the eternal God. He said, I am. It's a title given to God by himself. When Moses was standing in front of that burning bush and God was calling Moses to his, his mission to go back and to get the children of Israel released from Pharaoh's bondage. He said, how in the world am I going to do that? What am I going to tell them? Who am I going to tell them sent me? And God said, tell them, I am sent you. The eternal God who was and is and forever will be. And then he expounds on that explanation. He said, I am the Alpha and Omega the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. It's like in the English language saying, I am everything from A to Z. I comprehend it all. I am it all. Everything exists and consists because of this person, Jesus Christ. He, he understood that in the completeness of the language of the day. I am Alpha and Omega. I am the A to the Z. Then he said, and even further, I am the first and the last, Christ being at the beginning. I mean, Brother Rich covered that so beautifully in Sunday school and when he was covering the Trinity. Uh, uh, in the beginning with the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ has been there from the very beginning. I believe it was the essence of the plurality, as Rich said it, about when God said, let us make man in our own image. 
was something unique going on there in the Trinity. Even to the point that we get to the later on when it says uh, all things were made by him and without him there was nothing made that was made. That's Christ. He was there even before what we consider the beginning of time. He was there before even creation as we know it. And he'll be there at the end. Uh, he is described as the firstborn from the dead, the first fruits from the dead. Christ will be there. I like to say Christ will be there at the end, but guess what? There is no end. You know, I mean, um, we like to count time in the number of years that we live. You know, my dad lived 84 years upon the earth. My mom lived 91 years upon the earth. We've counted down those years. Today is May the 24th, 2020. We have put a date even on today. And, and we count those as far as natural life and as far as a time span in the, what we live right now. But when it comes to Jesus, there is no time. He has been there all along and he'll be there forevermore. It's not important to Jesus it was in the word of God that it said a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. In other words, time is not of any essence with God because time is God and God is time, but not as we know it. So we see that described in those early statements here when he says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Now the second statement he makes, he says, I was dead. <laughs> But now I'm alive. I mean, this is the essence of our faith. Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. This is what we believe right here. You see, the grave could not hold him. There was no way. Death had no power over Jesus. Uh, Satan couldn't defeat him. And on that Sunday morning, he arose from the dead. And a little bit later, over 500 saw him on a hillside at one time in his resurrected body, alive. And one of these days, I'm going to see him alive. One of these days, if you have faith in Christ, you're going to see him alive. You're going to get to see him as he really is. He defeated what I call the last enemy of mankind, which is death. He took the sting away from death. And says not only is he alive, he says he's alive forevermore. I mean, Jesus showed his power over death many times. I mean, he showed his power resurrecting people from the dead. You remember Lazarus? Uh, you know, he stood outside of that tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who'd been dead four days, walked out of there again. I mean, he had power over death. But guess what? Lazarus died again. Nowhere do we have a testimony of Jesus on TB, I mean Lazarus on TBM or TBN or CB, CNN or whatever, CBS, NBC, any of the news systems saying, you know, I, Jesus, he resurrected me from dead over 2,000 years ago and I'm still alive and I'm not dead yet. No, he died again. But Jesus, he's alive forevermore because he is eternal life. That's the reason it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life. Uh, he offers eternal life to us through that gift of eternal life. But he is, in essence, eternal life. I mean, I think that's the reason the scripture says, he that has the Son, Jesus, has life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. I mean, he gives the gift of eternal life to the believer simply by believing and receiving by faith. 
He then gives himself because he is eternal life. He is the gift of eternal life. Whoever has Christ has life. Who doesn't have him doesn't have life. And he is forever and ever. Amen. Wow. And, uh, you know, all of the, I, 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 the two statements there. He says, I am the eternality of Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He said, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. Those are two strong statements, but I do want you to take your Bible, turn over about two or three pages to the fourth chapter of Revelation. This is what I'd like to end with. It, it's an early scene out of the 22 verse chapters of Revelation in the fourth chapter, beginning verse 8. And it says, And the four beasts had sim, each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and is to come. Now hold your place right there. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see in that verse, I don't want to dwell on the four living creatures. It's just not important to me right now, okay? I'm, I'm not here to debate who or what they were. I don't even want to dwell on their appearance with all their eyes and the weird looks to I don't want to go in there. That's not important to me right now. I want to zoom in on their words. Their words are of the essence of importance. He says, holy, 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 the absolute of holiness there. The standard of holiness is God. God is holy. And he's bringing it out three times. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was is and is to come. Always has been, is now, and will always be. Okay? The words, holy, 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 to this eternal God. Then down to verse number nine. <clears throat> and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. The, you know, that's that eternal Jesus here. Explained here with not one, just one forever, but two forever and ever. Then verse 10, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created just in those verses right there i don't want to dwell on the 24 elders I, I don't want to dwell on the uh the facts of the thrones or whatever but i uh, why they're seated on the throne. i don't want to get into that what i want to get into is their actions and their words in those two verses of verse 10 and 11 action number one they worship that's what we're supposed to do that that's an example to us of worship they give worthiness to the one that sits on the throne, to the, to the king of glory, the Lord of glory. You see, we, they were worshiping with their lips. We do a lot of that, you know, in church. Somebody stand up and say, thank God, I glorify God, hallelujah, praise God. We'll say those things from our lips, but we also worship God with our actions. And I'm not talking about tears rolling down their eyes or an old fashioned shouting service or hands in there. I'm talking about 
Our actions of our everyday living brings worthiness to God. They, say, they are worshiping this God, this Son of God, this King on the throne, Jesus Christ, with their actions here and with their words. And then action number two, they're casting their crowns before the throne. Isn't that a sight right there? Number one, I, I don't know what, what, what they're doing with crowns to begin with. I mean, you know, there's one king of glory, right, Jesus? But they're somehow, they're casting their crowns before the king of glory. I think they're casting all of their claim, all of their accomplishments, all of their war, rewards before the feet of Jesus. Showing it here that it wasn't their doing, it was his doing. I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good person. Lord have mercy, I don't deserve that. I, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a Baptist. All Baptists go to heaven, right? I'm, I'm not going there because I'm, I'm a Baptist. You know? I'm not even going because I'm a preacher. I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure hell isn't made up with a lot of preachers. I don't know. But I'm not, I'm not going because of any of that. I'm not even going because I, I went up an aisle. I didn't go. I didn't walk an aisle. I did not go forward to an old-fashioned altar. You know, people say, well, I come to that old-fashioned altar and I laid my heart down there and I got to know Jesus there. That's wonderful. That's a great way to find Jesus. But I found him on the back row of a church. Knelt down between two aisles as a child, not knowing for sure what I was doing except I needed to be saved. Talking to a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he saved me. And there wasn't anything I did to deserve that. And there's nothing I have to deserve being called a Christian today or going to heaven. I mean, most everybody that knows me knows that when I get a letter, or I get referred to as Reverend Treadway, I just, ooh, it runs all over me. I can't stand that. I'm not Reverend. That's, that's, I didn't do anything to deserve a title of being Reverend. You know, uh, a lot of other claims. You know, that's part of the reason I, I didn't go on to school. I didn't. There's certain titles I didn't want people to call me. That, that's not me. That's got nothing to do with me. Now, if you want to call me preacher, that's okay because that's what God's called me to do. If you want to call me pastor, now that's okay too because that's what God called me to do. And if you want to call me brother, thank God we're part of the family of God together. But none of that was my accomplishments. It was all Jesus Christ. Nothing have I done to deserve the Son, Jesus Christ, in my life. And I think that's what they're showing by just casting these crowns that really don't belong to them, but they belong to Jesus at the very feet of Jesus. Now, that's their actions. They worship and they cast their crowns before the throne of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But if we go on now, I want you to see their words. The first words they said is, you, Lord, are worthy to receive glory or honor and glory and power, saying it's all about you. They, they expressed it with their actions by throwing the crowns before the throne. Now they're expressing it with their words. Oh, if we could just give God the glory for what he'd done and quit taking it ourselves. Oh, if we could just give God the honor he deserves and not try to heap it upon ourselves. If we could just give it to him. There's a great lesson here in their words of saying, God, you deserve it all. Lord, you deserve it all. And then the second set of words, they say, reinforces what we saw in that first vision. 
You created all things, and for your pleasure they were created. I think back to the Old Testament to Job. When Job's questioning God, God asked Job a very, very serious question. He said, Job, where were you when I created the earth? We weren't there. We created nothing except chaos. And that chaos is, a re is, is nothing more than remains of our sin. So we've really created nothing of importance. So we're not created. We didn't create this world as we know it. We didn't create the heavens and the earth. We didn't have anything to do with it. God did it all. And it wasn't even created for us. Now, in essence, we know from the Genesis account that the garden was created with all of its perfection and God placed a man and a woman in there to enjoy it. But did you know what? It was God's pleasure to read and it was there. And they messed it up. This whole world was created by God and was created for His pleasure. And guess what? We've messed it up. It's not about us. They did not make it for us. He made it for Him. When we think we deserve our salvation, you know, we don't deserve it. It's Him. It was, we're only saved for one reason, to bring glory to God. To create pleasure for him, not for ourselves. I enjoy the Christian life. I've said it many times. Man, if there wasn't an afterlife, if eternal life, if there wasn't a heaven, I'm enjoying it right now, living for Christ. I would live for Christ just not now because I really do enjoy being a Christian. I really enjoy the blessings of life as God has given it to me. I enjoy all that. But you see, that wasn't created for me. That was created for him. I'm enjoying it, hopefully, so I can bring pleasure to him and glory and honor to him. So you see that their actions here, they worshiped, they cast their crowns before the throne, then they created and praised God as his worthiness, and then they made an, a very strong statement that it's all been for you. When we get to heaven, we're not going to say, man, I tell you, did you see the number of people I preached to last Sunday? Man, did you see the number of churches that I preached and how many people came to say, the Lord? no, no, Lord, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to say, Lord, thank you for what you did and nothing have I done. Praise God for you. The vision of Jesus. If we could just get a vision of Jesus like John got it, I think we'd see life a whole lot differently, don't you? All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for the vision that was given to John of Jesus Christ, high and lifted up into heaven. Lord, with all the great majesty that he showed John and with the words in which he gave John, with the future that is laid out for John in the revelation of Christ. Lord, we're thankful, but Lord, we're most thankful for you. Without you, we would not exist. Without you, we would not have your gift of eternal life. Without you, we would not have heaven. Without you, there would be no acclaim, no honor, because it all belongs to you. And we give you that praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. We trust that God has blessed you with this message from His Word. Each week, these sermons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday School videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to the channel but be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. 
For audio, you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. You can also find these audio recordings on our website, free to download. Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.